Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. All right, for today's episode, we have Tim Rakhtashal with us to talk about his paper titled End-to-End Differentiable Proving. Uh, Tim recently finished a PhD with Sebastian Riedel at University College London and is now a postdoc at the University of Oxford. And uh, he's done a lot of work related to stuff that I've looked at recently, so I thought this would be an interesting paper to talk about. Um, This differentiable proving paper is in this line of, like, I have a knowledge base, I want to infer new facts about it, and he's got some cool ideas about how to do this in a nice way. So, Tim, you want to tell us about how it works? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks a lot for the invitation. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Um, so, I guess, as you said, we want to infer um, facts given a knowledge base of known facts um, that has been, I guess, tackled for uh, a long time. There's uh, various approaches to this um, they are, I guess, approaches that are based on representation learning, so approaches that try to learn uh, some dense uh, vector representations of symbols, uh, such as constants and predicates. And uh, then on the other hand, there are approaches um, that, I guess, come a little bit more from the statistical relational AI um, field, so um, I guess path ranking is, uh, is, is one of uh, these approaches. And uh, what we've been, I guess, exploring is for a long time now, uh, the combination of logic and uh, these neural representations, so the spectral representations of um, entities and predicates. Um, and uh, previously, we've been what we've been doing is we've uh, we were interested in, I guess, these approaches that um, score or learn to score facts on a quite local basis. So basically, um, uh, these are models that in order to predict a statement or the truthness of a statement, they just take the vector representations of, let's say, the predicate and the two constant uh, symbols um, and have some aggregation function or some, um, I guess, uh, function that that measures the comparability of the predicate and the two constant um, uh, representations to come up with a score. So these are, I guess, neural link prediction models. Um, There are instances uh, such as matrix factorization, tensor factorization, and various other um, um, proposals in, in, in the previous years. And uh, what's nice about these models is that they are very scalable, so they can be uh, trained on very large knowledge bases, and test time inference is ex- extremely uh, fast. Right? You just take a statement uh, where you want to predict the truthness, and you just take, uh, I guess, the, the three symbols, the predicate and the two constants, uh, map them to vector representations, and then you apply the scoring function. So that's nice, but at the same time, uh, we have, I guess, a lot of um, background knowledge that we would like to incorporate into these uh, systems. So what we've been doing for for the past years was thinking of, can we take logical rules, first order logic formally, and can we somehow regularize these uh, symbol representations such that they incorporate that logical knowledge? Um, But then, I guess, last year, we started to think a bit more about more explicit ways of um, working with rules. So we didn't just want to regularize uh, these representations because surely that has some limitations. Uh, we actually wanted to be able to, I guess, do um, more explicit first-order logic uh, reasoning, but with uh, symbol um, representations. So that's basically the, the setup of this paper. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it looks to me like uh, the, the gist of this paper is you, you take prologue, and you essentially do the whole algorithm uh, just in a differentiable way. Is, is that a fair characterization of what you're doing? 
I think the I think that's that's partly right. I think it makes um, sense to say that we take Prolog, but we actually use Prolog, the backward chaining algorithm in Prolog, to construct a neural network that represents all possible proofs up to some predefined depth. Right? Uh, so now we have this we have this really large neural network. Uh, that encodes all possible proofs, but now we can basically backpropagate through that that neural network. So that means we can learn these similar representations based on factional knowledge that we have in a in a knowledge base. So, in what instances do you think this actually helps you? Like, what what can't you do with the typical prolog backward chaining algorithm that you can do with this? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, what you can't do with typical um, prolog backward chaining or any symbolic theorem prover, if you want to say, is that you you can't really learn. Uh, that, for instance, a grandfather of symbol is similar to a grandpa of symbol, or that they even mean a similar, uh, the same thing, right? Or you can't learn that, that a professor is something quite similar to a lecturer, um, or you can't learn that um, a constant such as um, uh, Maggie Simpson is uh, similar to another constant, Bart Simpson, because similar relationships hold for these two constants, right? They have both the same parents, they live in the same city and whatnot. So um, these symbolic... Um, Theorem provers or symbolic logic is quite, uh, I guess, constrained in, in, in the generalization that we can get uh, from these systems. We would, um, I guess, ideally we would like to still train um, symbol representations from large knowledge bases and make use of uh, the generalization abilities that we get by learning such sub-symbolic vector representations, but at the same time also be able to do explicit logical inference uh, if it makes sense, right? So what's the depth you can uh, construct the neural network such that it's, it remains uh, feasible to do uh, to do this exploration? Yes, yeah, so that, that's, that's a really great question uh, because that uh, directly inside the limitations. So we can do uh, we can do a depth of two with uh, rules that have up to uh, three atoms in the in the body. So basically, it's like a, the rule itself is already a free hop rule, but then we can apply that I guess twice. Uh, to um, you know, do proofs, but this is extremely limited, right? Um, so that's just really one of the, the severe limitations of this approach, because we we really have to build a computation graph that represents all possible proofs up to some predefined depth. We get this explosion in in the in the breadth of this uh, tree that represents the proofs. We we have to have to constrain that quite a bit, and we also had to apply various tricks to to make this um, remotely scalable for medium-sized uh, knowledge bases. Interesting. So, uh, thinking about like when is this like applicable? So, when would you actually need to know grandfather of versus grandpa of? Um, for like a small knowledge base, you would think that the designer of the knowledge base would um, put in symbols that are discrete and not overlapping. And it's in the case where we have textual relations, where we have like hundreds of thousands of them, that we actually run into this problem of needing to compute similarity between relations. Um, yep. So. It, but what you're saying is that we can't scale to that size yet, or, or that's exactly yeah. Though I, I guess you said it's more in the depth of the proof tree and not as is it also does it also have scalability problems in like the number of ground atoms? Yeah, because, that's because those that's are different, true. right? They're different, but also related. So if you have let's say you have you have a rule that says a grandfather is a father of a parent, right? So you have grandfather of X Y. Um, on as the rule had, and in the body you have uh, father of x as z, and then z, and then parent of z y. What's happening in backward chaining is that you um, basically get a question like grandpa of x y, 
And now, given that that rule that you have, you might be able to match grandpa off with grandfather off. Right? That's that's something we can do because we compare the symbols grandfather of and grandpa of in vector space, something that backward chaining, symbolic backward chaining can't do because at this point there's a mismatch between the two symbols. Anyway, so now we, we take basically grandpa of uh, query and we can translate that into two queries, uh, father of and, and parent of. But now we actually get the substitution of Z with every possible um, with every possible second uh, argument in ground atoms in the knowledge base. Right? So if we have a knowledge base of, let's say, a thousand facts, that means we get now a substitution of Z with thousand possible um, entities, right? And we also get a thousand different uh, proof, differentiable proof success scores at this point. But now um, we also still have to prove the second atom, uh, namely father, uh, parent of uh, ZY. Now we again have to compare these, uh, I guess, thousand substitutions that we built with, again, thousand uh, ground atoms in, in the knowledge base, right? Because we, we can't really... Um, we can't really stop proofs by by just saying uh, grandpa of and parent of, for instance, are not the same symbol. We still have to continue proofs because we we, we have this differentiable, uh, I guess, similarity uh, metric in, in the vector space. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure how much detail we should go into the method uh, in audio form, um, but do you want to give like a really high level summary of how this model actually works? Like, what kind of graph do you construct? Um, I can try it. Uh, as you said, I think it's it's quite hard to do that um, in audio form, but we, we can give it a try. So I think that on a high level, let's maybe first talk about what backward chaining is doing on a high level. On a high level, there's two uh, functions mm -hmm. called OR and AND. <laughs> um, and what OR is doing is given a goal, it's trying to apply rules in the knowledge base, right? It's trying to see, first of all, can, given the goal, can we find um, that goal in the knowledge base? Then we're already done, right? Then we have a proof. We, we can say we just know that that fact is true. But if that's not the case, then uh, given rules, we are basically translating that um, that goal into sub-goals, right? If we have a rule that says grandfather of X, Y um, is the case if father of um, X, Z and uh, parent of ZY, then we can straight translate a, a certain goal into uh, these two sub uh, goals, uh, father of and parent of. Now, um, when this happens, when we basically get a match between our goal and the rule hat, then uh, this function called end is called. And end is now basically just uh, iteratively trying to prove uh, all the, um, all the uh, sub goals in the, in the body of the rule. And Basically, these two functions now call each other recursively. So the way AND is proving the subgoals is by calling OR. Right? So we have this recursive uh, structure. What's very important is that um, this matching between the goal and the rule head is uh, done uh, by a function that's called unification. So basically, we are really uh, looking at um, all the uh, aligned symbols into atoms. So let's say we have, uh, again, this atom uh, grandfather of um, ape Bart, uh, and we have a rule that says grandfather of X Y, and then we could you now translate that uh, 
goal into sub-goals. We're basically um, comparing grandfather off and grandfather off. If that succeeds, then fine. Um, and we're comparing the uh, a variable like X with um, Ape and a variable Y with Bart. So basically, we're at this point, binding the two um, constant symbols in our goal with the three variables uh, in the rule head, such that then we use exactly these bound variables in, in subsequent um, steps in the proving when uh, looking at the, the body of the rule. So this is, uh, this is how roughly, um, I guess, symbolic backward chaining works. Now, what we are doing um, is to take that algorithm and building up a computation graph that lets us um, prove, um, um, lets us build proofs for uh, a given goal, but also gives us a differentiable um, proof success score attached to each of these proofs. Right? So this is basically the neural network. The neural network outputs a, a, a score between zero and one, um, and that encodes whether that proof is, is true or not, or anything in between, basically. And the way we're doing this is by saying, well, unification not, it's, not, it's not going to happen on a symbolic level. We're not just comparing whether grandfather off and, and grandpa off is the same um, symbol, but we are you know, mapping both symbols into a vector space and then doing the uh, comparison using a, a radial basis uh, function kernel. Right? So um, what's now funny is that I guess the way this neural network is constructed really looks like the backward chaining algorithm. But what we're actually passing around are um, partial, partially constructed neural networks, right? That then in the recursive calls are basically expanded and, and stitched together. So we, what we, the way we, um, I guess, um, explain that in the paper is by saying, well, we have what we call um, these uh, modules, which partly have uh, discrete objects, such as, you know, the the kind of sub goals that we still have to prove in a row. And on the other hand, they pass around a proof state which contains um, the substitution set, but also this partially constructed neural network. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's 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 the extent to which uh, I guess I can explain that in, in audio. Yeah. And that that was good. That was nice. Uh, are there any constraints on what you can unify in this uh, symbolic uh, unification variant? So uh, one of the things that we don't support that. Uh, is supported by Prolog are function terms. So if you, for instance, have a function that says father of Bart and it should return Homer, right? So we don't we don't have that. We don't support that. We really just support, I guess, um, atoms. Uh, but um, with that, you get, I guess, function-free first-order logic. So anything there is, is fine. Um, unary atoms, binary atoms, and whatnot. There was one thing that confused me as I read the paper, and look, looking at figure one in your paper, you uh, show an example of this, uh, uh, of a constructed proof tree. And it shows that father of IZ can't unify with the grandfather of rule, where this grandfather of rule says that uh, if um, the, the parent of someone's father is the grandfather. And so I was confused as, as, as to why that failed. It looked like it should have unified. Yeah, so we uh, we didn't um, mention that I think in the paper, but um, what you usually do in in backward chaining is that you also have some cycle detection. So if you already have applied the rule and you already have a binding of X to something, right, you shouldn't apply uh, okay. that again. But I think there's also ways of of doing so more sophisticated uh, things. So I think sometimes it's fine to do such cycles, but in our case, we just didn't um, we just didn't support that. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned there are many uh, tricks that you needed to do in order to make this scalable. Uh, are there anything that's uh, worth discussing or uh, mentioning about these tricks? 
Yeah, so I think one one thing is uh, that I guess one should know about uh, this kind of approach of taking an existing, let's say, data structure or an existing algorithm and turning that into a differentiable computation graph is that it's usually not so hard to um, to build that for a um, annual network that just processes, processes one example at a time. But what you usually want to do is you want to make use of modern graphic cards, and then you need to really think hard about how you actually can batch process um, through your computation graph, and that makes things very tricky. Right? So we, we really thought a lot of uh, how can we um, not just prove one goal at a time, but if we actually want to apply that to reasonably sized uh, knowledge bases, we want to you know, prove, let's say, 10 or 100 uh, goals in parallel on a GPU. This was one of the uh, tricks that we have to apply. Um, and uh, another one that I found very interesting is that what we are doing here is, is um, basically we're learning to prove um, goals from other facts that we have in the knowledge base, right? And um, on a, let's say we don't have any rules, right? Let's say we have a knowledge base with, without any rules. Then what this means is that we're basically trying to prove a, a goal by unification with all uh, facts in the knowledge base, right? And uh, it turns out that this is extremely slow to train because in the beginning, you basically initialize all these symbol representations uh, randomly. And that means in the beginning, you just get very noisy uh, proofs, right? So you get just uh, random things, um, I guess, uh, as, as high predictions. And that, that's, um, that's, that's really annoying, partly also because uh, at the end, you only care about one of these proofs to, uh, to succeed. So basically, the way we aggregate all of these proofs is by taking the max. So that means we get very noisy gradients, and we only have updates on, uh, I guess, one, um, one proof. So which makes training very, very slow. So one of the tricks that I found quite interesting um, is to actually still train a, a neural link prediction model alongside the, the differentiable prover. So um, we, in this case, we do um, use complex, which is a study of state-of-the-art neural link prediction model um, that, again, tries to just score a, a ground atom locally by you know, looking at the three vectors of the predicate and the two constant symbols and spitting out a score. And we basically take that neural link prediction model as a regularizer for learning very quickly about similarities of symbols. Uh, but then we still, you know, we still train the, the NTP and at test time we only use this, this neural theorem prover, this differentiable prover. Um, so the complex is really, complex models read just a regularizer. And what that means is, again, the complex is very quickly um, letting us learn similarities of symbols that then the prover can actually use to, you know, make quite uh, useful uh, multi-hop inferences. So all the symbol representations are shared across the two the neural network? Yes, exactly. Which is also a bit odd because complex is actually representing symbols in, as complex vectors, and uh, our differentiable prover um, is just representing them as, as real k-dimensional vectors. But the RBF kernel you can just still, uh, I guess, measure the distance between a k-dimensional, uh, I guess, uh, real vector and a k divided by two-dimensional complex vector. This sounds like a pretty complicated computation graph. What framework did you use to write the code? Uh, we implemented this in TensorFlow. And in hindsight, that might have been the wrong decision because now there are so many nice, I guess, dynamic computation graph uh, libraries, um, including PyTorch, but also um, uh, Dyna, I think. But even back then, there was uh, even back then there was a Torch, which I um, somehow disliked. So we, mm -hmm. we just went with TensorFlow. I'm just kind of surprised this is even possible in TensorFlow. It's interesting. Well, it's possible because. Um, 
given a goal and a given knowledge base, the computation graph stays static, right? So basically, you only have to build this computation graph once, and then you can prove uh, many goals of the same structure. And structure here means, um, let's say, a ground atom, right? So basically, the inputs to your to your proof tree are going to be the placeholders for the, let's say, three symbols in a, in a binary ground atom, and that's not going to change. So it's basically still a static computation graph. So that's why you can do it intensively. Interesting. So one... One thing that I haven't liked very much about recent um, neural link prediction models is that they try to encode these high-dimensional, high-rank tensors in low-rank vectors. So like, it seems mathematically impossible to me to recover who's married to who in uh, a vector for each entity and a vector for each relation. Like, it, You just can't encode marriage relationships or other kinds of sparse facts inside of these neural link prediction models. and. Uh, uh, it seems like what you're doing still has access to the runtime facts, right? You can still look up yep. that uh, Bart is, Abe is the grandfather of Bart. It's a fact in your knowledge base. And you're using sub-symbolic representations to do similarities in an interesting way, but you still have runtime access to these sparse facts. So you're not losing the information. Does, does this seem yes. right? Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, particularly what we disliked about neural link prediction models is the fact that they only you know, scoring these ground atoms locally, which means they have a really, really hard time with, I guess, things like transitivity, yep. right? So if you, uh, if X is located in Y and Y is located in Z, then X should also be located in Z. Um, and, and that's exactly, I think, we look at you know, experiments, that's exactly where our model seems to be uh, quite, um, uh, you know, quite good at compared to neural link prediction mm -hmm. models. Yeah. So what is the main difficulty in consolidating the uh, the approach that you're using in this paper with learning from text, like, uh, for example, the universal schema approach uh, is learning from both knowledge base facts as well as text? Hi, that's a great question. So partly this architecture is also inspired because ultimately you would like to um, have text as an as an input to these kind of models. So, you, for instance, you could think of a, a predicate um, like, um, I guess my favorite predicate is like, is the movie directed by the same by the author of the same book or so? Um, so it's a it's like a natural language phrase um, that um, that basically represents that predicate, but it's quite hard to work with this predicate as a symbol. Right? So you would run something like an encoder that reads this uh, you know text snippet and that uh, basically builds up compositionally this representation of the predicate, and that's potentially exactly what we could do with this architecture, right? So we don't care about whether our inputs are uh, predicate symbols that we map to vector representations or whether our input is a text snippet that we encode using an RNN. Well, we haven't done that, right? We just, we just, uh, um, we just uh, you know, did this embedding lookup uh, um, approach. Um, but since our architecture is end-to-end differentiable, what you can potentially conceive is you have uh, as inputs these uh, RNN encoders that are then hooked up with the differentiable prover and the whole model can be joined uh, jointly by backpropagation. So that's definitely a very interesting, I guess, future work um, yeah. we'd like to do. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. What I thought the answer to Ali's question was is that it's a scalability problem, right? It, like, it, if, yeah. if we take the same universal schema idea from Sebastian a few years ago, you just have one big tensor, right? And then you're just exploding the space of ground atoms that you have, and so you're just going to have scalability problems, basically. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the, the reason why we can't do this right now is because we have exactly these scalability issues. Particularly, um, our problem is that we have to basically make sure that this unification of a uh, of a 
of an atom with all factors in knowledge space can be done efficiently on a GPU. So basically, that has to fit on a GPU. Our entire neural representation of the knowledge space has to fit on a GPU. Otherwise, uh, this is really way too slow. Yeah, you could imagine like pruning that somehow. Then it gets a whole lot harder with TensorFlow, right? Because you probably have yep. a dynamic graph, yep. and you, you might want to do like have the the pruning that you do change during the course of training. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're inter interesting yep. directions for future work. Yeah, maybe one thing I I, I can also uh, talk about. Um, which I guess, again, was the motivation of this architecture, is actually to be able to incorporate prior knowledge, right? So if we have a, a logical rule that we want to make sure holds, then we can just write that down and include it in the knowledge base. But more importantly, what I find uh, very interesting is that people have been looking a lot in, into this, I guess, it's called inductive logic programming. So can we induce these logical rules automatically from data? And people have been using, I guess, lots of symbolic approaches uh, for doing so. Um, and what we can do here quite easily is to actually say we um, know, well, we assume that there's a transitivity in our knowledge base, but we don't know between which predicates. We can just write down, I guess, what we call a rule template. So we can say there is some transitivity between some predicate representation, you know, one uh, and, uh, you know, two other predicate representations, two and three. We just write that down as, as a rule uh, with, um, I guess, parameters for these predicates. And then we can just optimize that like all our other symbol representations. So basically, the model can now make these predicate uh, parameters, these predicate representations, uh, close to actual predicates such that it can then prove things in an R space, which allows us to induce uh, rules by gradient descent and gives us uh, some way of then afterwards actually inspecting what the model has learned. Um, so that's what was one of the things that, that I guess we found uh, quite nice about this uh, approach. Yeah, I, I first saw that idea from William Wong and William Cohen's proper work. And yep. I, I, I liked when I saw it in your paper because it's a nice extension because it lets you learn these rules over vectors, right? The predicates are just represented as vectors. And so like, it, it's a nice uh, sub-symbolic extension of this line of work. Yeah, exactly. So this is, um, this is definitely the, the work that we draw inspiration uh, from. So what William Wong had was these, uh, what he called um, really rule templates where you say, I assume there are, let's say, 10 transitivities in my knowledge base, and then instantiate uh, all these parametric rules, and you can and use them, uh, in our case, using gradient descent, in their case, using something different. Yeah. Cool. I think that's all the questions that we had. That was a really interesting discussion. Thanks for talking with us, Tim. Yep. Thanks. Uh, thanks to you.